Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin. This week, in celebration of fall and the not-too-distant coming of the holiday season, I'm going to be talking about the celebration of All Saints Day and the other events surrounding it, including the mostly secular celebration of Halloween. Our culture has evolved, or devolved, to the point that the time from Halloween to New Year's has merged into one super holiday season. The Christmas trees have begun to spring up in Costco and Home Depot across the country weeks before Halloween. Halloween has become, by the way, the second most popular holiday in terms of the amount of money Americans spend on it. I can see where a lot of the spending goes. Walking down the street in my neighborhood, one can see all kinds of ghosts and goblins peeking out from behind trees and people's front yards have been converted into graveyards. Popular item this year seems to be the 14-foot tall skeletons that I have to admit kind of creep me out. Halloween is getting bigger, if not better. Few of us stop to think about the meaning behind these creepy, crawly displays. Halloween is a confusing holiday time. In addition to Halloween, you've probably heard of All All Hallows' Eve, All Hallows' Day, All Souls' Day, All Saints' Day, etc. All of these occur on October 31st through November 6th and vary according to local traditions, which themselves have changed over time. These days are celebrated with various degrees of secular and religious emphasis. Now, I'm not going into the complex terminology and traditions involved. I'm going to focus on the religious celebration of All Saints Day. And a good place for us to begin is with this vision of John recording in Revelations. After this, I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could tell, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white, with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, singing, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and forever. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these robed in white, and where have they come from? I said to him, Sir, you are the one that knows. Then he said to me, These are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And for this reason they are before the throne of God and worship him day and night within his temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to the springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Here ends the reading. This passage is a vision or a dream of John, the author of the book of Revelation. In his vision, John describes the assemblage of a great multitude in heaven, 
at the end of time. It's interesting to note that this is a very inclusive vision of humanity, since he says that it was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and all peoples and languages. And that's important, because we tend to picture heaven filled with people who look and talk and believe like us. This image got me to thinking about the simultaneous immensity and insignificance of humanity. The insignificance of the puny human race was brought home to me recently by an article on what has been called the human cube. The human cube is a measure of how big a three-dimensional space it would take to contain all seven billion human beings now living on the planet Earth. Try to picture a cube-shaped building that big. Now, to help us get our minds around this, the author of the article on the human cube started out with a one-dimensional description of the Earth's population. If we lined up all the people on Earth, head to toe, they would stretch over 8 million miles. That's over 30 times the distance from the Earth to the moon. Or it would be long enough to stretch around the globe 300 times. A long way. Or she'd have a hard time getting everybody to lie down head to toe at the same time. But just remember, like Revelations, this is just a vision. Now, the two-dimensional ver version was even more surprising to me. If we could get everyone to stand as close to each other, front to back and side to side as possible, we could cram everybody on Earth into a space roughly the size of New York City. I hope we're all wearing deodorant. I've been to New York City at times that it, I thought it couldn't get any more crowded, but I guess it could, although they certainly would be uncomfortable. But the one that really surprised me was the three-dimensional model. How big a cube would it take to hold all of humanity if we were stacked up like cordwood? Now, I know that's kind of a gross image, but bear with me. Average human being takes up a little over 2.5 cubic feet of space. Multiply that by 7 billion, and you will create a cube about two-thirds of a mile per side. Now, I grew up in Iowa where the land is divided into sections, one mile square. So our cube would only be two-thirds of that on a side, and then about 3,500 feet tall. Now, that would be a really big building. Considering modern construction, not inconceivable. I can almost imagine an Amazon building a fulfillment center that big. All of humanity be sardine-packed into a can that would be downright tiny from an airplane flying at 35,000 feet. It makes the human presence on Earth seem insignificant. I guess that the great numberless multitude is a matter of perspective. We're insignificant on Earth, but even more so on a cosmic scale. Nobody has put our earthly existence better than the late astronomer Carl Sagan when he described the picture that Voyager spacecraft took when it turned its cameras back on Earth in deep space. In that famous picture, Earth appeared as what Sagan described as a pale blue dot. Sagan wrote, from this distant vantage point, the Earth might not seem of any particular interest, but for us, it's different.
Consider again that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you have ever heard of, every human being who ever was, lived out their lives there. The aggregate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, Every saint and sitter in history of our species lived there on a mote of dust suspended in a sunbeam. A beautiful description. Now think, puny human, you are but one seven billionth of that insignificant humanity that inhabits that speck dancing on a sunbeam. And yet, in the course of a few thousand years, we have changed our planet. We have polluted its oceans and fouled its skies. We have destroyed thousands of precious species with which God populated this earth. And our minds can contemplate, if somewhat inadequately and incorrectly, the depth of the cosmos. So now we aspire to conquer our solar system and beyond. We seek not only to know the mind of God, to be God. We have fought wars and killed millions of our own kind. But we have loved and sacrificed and mourned our dead. We have felt useless and meaningless. We have felt inspired, but we have inspired awe, and our imaginations have created timeless works of art and literature and beauty. We've questioned our God. We have stood firm in our faith. We have laughed and we have cried. We have lived and we have died. Our reach has exceeded our grasp. That's what a heaven's for. A celebration of all saints reminds us that in this life, heaven remains a dream, an aspiration of the future. But there are things that we know without reservation. The first is that although the universe is magnificent and from our perspective infinite, God has managed to place each one of us at the center of that creation. As God spoke through the prophet Isaiah, but now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Although the universe is vast, God's capacity to love each and every element and every creature is vaster. You are not a nameless speck of dust in a sandstorm. You are unique and a beloved child of God. Jesus also talks about God's personal care for us in Matthew 10, 29, where he says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. 
You see, this doesn't refer only to you and me. As we remember all our lost saints, we can be assured that God cares for each of them too. Those who have died have become a part of that vast, uncountable multitude in heaven, and yet they maintain an individual relationship with God. And the sufferings and tribulations they faced in this life were a thing of the past. As John said, they will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. Once while leading a Bible study, I was asked, what are loved ones who have died before we do are going to do while they wait for us to join them? After quipping that God has reserved a special place in hell for people who ask difficult questions like those, I took a stab at it. Well, from our perspective, years, decades, generations, or centuries may pass from the time one person dies to another. When we die, we die into eternity. And eternity has no beginning and no end. And so it will seem like we will all awaken together. As Paul puts it so beautifully in 1 Corinthians, listen, I'll tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishability and this mortal body must put on immortality. So don't worry about grandma and grandpa. They aren't sitting around twiddling their thumbs waiting for you to arrive. They don't have to while away the hours playing endless games of pickleball. Yes, I assume there's even pickleball in heaven now. No, we will all awaken at once in a twinkling of an eye. As Paul says, it's a mystery, a wonderful mystery. Now, there's one final question about all saints that begs answering. Just who will be included in that great multitude gathering around the throne of God? We had a friend who was told at the her grandmother's funeral she would never see her again because she was not a part of a particular Christian denomination. What a heartless thing to say to a child who suffered many tearful, sleepless nights, having abandoned the hope that she would never see her grandma again. Our vision from Revelation takes us beyond such petty denominationalism. Remember, John saw a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and, and languages. That's about as universal a statement about the residents of heaven that they can imagine. It gives us hope that in the resurrection, we will be reunited with the, those we love, no matter who they are, and God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Please join me as we say a prayer for our lost saints. God, the generations rise and pass away before you. You are the strength of those who labor. You are the rest of the beloved dead. We rejoice in the company of all your saints. We remember all who have lived in faith, 
all who have peacefully died, and those most dear to us who rest in you. Give us, in time, our portion with those who have trusted in you and had striven to do your holy will. To your name, we ascribe all honor and glory now and forever. Amen. Thank you for joining me today, saints. May God bless you and keep you. God be gracious unto you. May God wipe away every tear from your eye and give you peace.